actually on the um, parables of Jesus, okay? It sounds really good in the house. Thank you, uh, my sound tech, for working out the bugs. Um, uh, we're going to talk about a really difficult uh, parable today. Um, it came up in our, in our prayer time during the week and Bible study during the week, and I thought, well, goodness, why not just do a message on it? Because there's so many questions about this. And uh, we'll call this the curse of the fig tree. Sounds like a movie they might want to play in the theater here, you know, the curse of the fig tree. I'm not sure what's playing in here after our service is over, but doesn't look too wholesome. You know, I see a picture on the front there of what's coming to play. So we're, we're going to do the Bible here for our time together, all right, and talk about the famous story of the cursing of the fig tree. And you're going to find this uh, in Matthew 21 and Mark 11. Uh, but there's a broader backdrop that we'll take a look at today because this is an often misunderstood story and often people are confused by it and lose the meaning as a result of the confusion, okay? Uh, I'm going to read it out of... Um, I'm going to read it out of Mark's Gospel for you, okay? Um, it starts with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, and uh, picking it up in, in verse 9, let's say, of uh, Mark 11, and the people are spreading the palm branches and putting their cloaks on the road, and Jesus is coming in on a, on a young donkey in accordance with the prediction out of the minor prophet Zechariah. And we'll break this down in a few minutes. And the people are shouting. It's like a big uh, catharsis moment for them of excitement of joy, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And Mark puts this detail in that Matthew doesn't. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Bethany is about a two-mile walk in that day, uh, the Bethany they're referring to from uh, Jerusalem. Uh, the next day, verse 12, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out, he went to find out if it had any fruit on it. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Wow. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, remember the day before, according to Mark, he had popped into Jerusalem and popped out. Went and checked out the temple courts and left. And spent the night in Bethany, according to Mark. Matthew doesn't have this detail. Mark does. Back to Jerusalem a second time. Jesus entered the temple courts. This would be a second time. And began, began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the temples of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. 
And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He's quoting from the major prophets there. And you see in Matthew's version, there are people who come to him at that moment, and he starts doing, he starts healing a few people. Uh, so it's quite, a, it's quite a moment there in the temple courts. Uh, verse 18 of Mark 11, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out, to, out of the city, back to Bethany again, two miles. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Huh? In one day, he withers a fig tree? Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Verse 22, Mark 11, have faith in God. I tell you truly, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. They're close to the Mount of Olives there. Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Parable ends, but we see Jesus journeys back into Jerusalem, back into the temple courts again. So if you look at Mark's version, it's really three visits quickly, back to back to back into Jerusalem. Matthew does not give out these details. He kind of jams it all into one day. Um, it's Maybe there's a way to insert another day in there, but he doesn't go into the detail that Mark does. That's the story. Now, when you read this story or hear it, you probably have all kinds of questions. Uh, and those questions are somewhat answered when you look a little bit at the backdrop of what's going on. Um, so note the sequence. You've got the triumphal, what we call the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, as we sometimes call it. You've got the judgment on the fig tree. You've got trouble at the temple. And then you've got the lesson on faith from this dead tree. Back to back to back to back, very, very quickly. So if you just try and visualize it, uh, and these pictures are from, I think, Lumo Project, it's called. And here you, have, here you have Jesus, and he's coming in, and they've got the palm branches waving. And it's kind of the way that we typically look at this is this is a big moment of celebration. The king is coming into the city is the way that we think about it. And sometimes when we, when we acknowledge Palm Sunday in churches, we have a, this very positive, very charged, very exciting, very celebratory kind of atmosphere. Uh, in the Jewish calendar, just this past week was the Feast of Purim. If you've read the book of Esther, uh, the Feast of Purim is a celebration in the Jewish mind of the deliverance of God, or de the deliverance of Israel and the Jewish people from the hand of Haman and how the tables were turned 
on Haman, and he had the gallows set for Mordecai, and he had a, essentially a genocide planned for the Jewish people, and the tables are turned, and he ends up hanging on the gallows, and the, the Jewish people are saved. It's a celebration uh, around this time of year. It was this past Wednesday, and they eat sweets, and they celebrate. This is what people sometimes think of kind of the same atmosphere with Palm Sunday, this great celebration. The King is coming. Jesus is coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They put their cloaks on the road. He's regal. He's a king coming in. And they're waving their paw. You see the celebration and all of that. Now, uh, that's, that's good, but we're missing something uh, very, very key to this whole story and the cursing of the fig tree and his dialogue on faith. We're missing something very, very important. Uh, this is um, a coin. It's about 1,900 years old uh, that they have found quite recently, actually. Only found four of them, I think, with the, these inscriptions on them. Uh, but this is in reference to Simon Bar Kokhba. And Simon Bar Kokhba was a leader uh, in Judea in the year 135, about 100 years after Jesus uh, died and was raised from the dead. You have uh, the Jewish wars took place, the temples destroyed in AD 70. And they're putting all kinds of things, the Romans on the Temple Mount, all kinds of ungodly things and building altars and all of this stuff. And there is a rebellion, or at least an attempted rebellion, under a leader who they called the Messiah for a time. His name was Simon Bar Kokhba. This is a coin uh, from that time. They took the Roman coins, stripped them, and then emblazoned these images on them. And you have a palm tree on the right-hand side there. And then on the left, you, you have, a, I forget what the image is, maybe it's grapes, but note the palm tree on the right. And they've got, uh, it says, Simon, for the freedom of Jerusalem. Now, folks, that very well, if Jesus had have conducted himself differently on Palm Sunday, that could very well have said Jesus for the freedom of Jerusalem. What those people are looking for when Jesus comes in on that colt is they're looking for a conquering king, a conquering Messiah. That's why they're so excited. They think that he's the one who's going to overturn the Roman leadership, who's going to liberate uh, Israel from the dominance of Rome and the authority of Rome and give, give them their full freedom, to stop paying taxes, to stop being ruled in the way that they've, they've been ruled for so many years. Uh, if you check out my message on government, you'll see the whole system of government back then. It was oppressive to them. They're looking for a deliverer. And the palms, the palm branches that they're waving is symbolizing that. And you see this on this coin. So what it's, yes, it's joy. Yes, it's celebration. But the reason is not just because they're happy. <laughs> the reason is he's going, he means business. And he's coming into Jerusalem and it's, it's going to go down. He's revealing himself and he's going to do it. He's going to be our leader for the freedom of Jerusalem. This could very well have been Jesus' name on this coin if he hadn't have conducted himself differently, okay? So think of Palm Sunday a little bit more in those terms. And then you've got Jesus spends a night in Bethany, wakes up and he's hungry, and he looks at this fig tree from a distance, 
And this is where all the trouble happens, honestly, where we get so confused, is we say, well, hold on a second here. Like, what is this? This, this is such a bizarre thing. It seems so un-Jesus-like. The whole day seems un-Jesus-like. Like, if he's hungry, why doesn't he eat? Why does he have to go and curse this fig tree? And, and Mark adds this really upsetting uh, detail in here. He says it, it's in leaf, uh, this tree. And so Jesus goes to find out if it has any fruit on it, and he sees nothing on it, believes. So, and Mark says, because it was not the season for figs. So we say to ourselves, well, didn't Jesus know that? That it wasn't the season for figs? And then Jesus says, may no one eat the fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard him say it. So what, is he throwing a tantrum? Is he hangry? <laughs> Do you know your kids, when they get hungry, they get angry, right? We call that hangry. Some of you adults get hangry too, right? Is Jesus hangry here? What is this? I mean, and this is a really weird thing because it's the only destructive miracle in Jesus' ministry that's noted in the Gospels. You ever, you ever realize that? It's destructive. I mean, all the tree huggers today would be really upset. You know, if you're a pantheist or a tree hugger, you're like, well, I don't like this Jesus. What's, what's he doing to nature? You know, this nice fig tree. And then to make matters worse, he goes into the temple courts and it seems like he's even more hangry. He's got this look on his face. He sees people in the temple courts. He sees them selling doves. He sees them exchanging money. And he gets angry, really angry. And he, he destroys the, the whole thing. And he kicks the people out. You say, wow, he's having a bad day. Like, what's going on here? Right? And we get, all, <laughs> we get all bent out of shape with this. I love this narrative because um, it's so real. You know, if you're going to sit there and you're going to whip up a story about Jesus, you know, you're going to take uh, Jesus and, you know, go with the idea that Jesus was just a regular man and the gospel writers, you know, over time, they just changed the story and they turned him into God and they made it look like he rose from the dead, the da, 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 you know, the story, right? And so that's, we have the Bible today and it's all just been doctored with, you know, and man, if you're going to sit there and whip up a story, why are you putting this in there? It makes him look like he's having a temper tantrum. It makes him look bad, is the way, the way that we read it and the way that we understand it. What's up with this fig tree? You know, and then you see him, then you see the next day the tree's dead. It's a fig tree. You know how long it takes for a fig tree to die and to wither from its roots? Impossible. It takes a miracle to do that in a day. Matthew says he did it all in one day. Mark puts it over two days. So uh, that's the backdrop to this whole thing, and we're left scratching our heads. What is this? What do we do with this story? Now, when, he's, when he goes into the temple courts, and we've talked about this before. I'll back up a couple of slides. The temple courts, there he's in the courts of the Gentiles. The Gentiles go there. The non-Jewish people go there to worship. God accepted that. God permitted that. God tolerated that. You had these God-fearing Gentiles who would come, and they would come to worship. They would come maybe at the three different feasts that, that Jews were required to go to the temple every year uh, for, what was it, Passover, Tabernacles, and Pentecost. Maybe the God-fearing Gentiles would come there. Um, here you're moving toward the Feast of Passover. This is toward the week of Jesus' execution. You've got people coming into the city. They're coming in there to worship. And they're in the courts of the Gentiles, 
The Gentiles are supposed to worship there. But people have set up shop there. It's not in particular the selling of the material specifically that irritates Jesus. It's the fact that people are being ripped off and that they're being blocked from worship by being ripped off. So they go there and they have to exchange their money uh, from out of town. They're going to do a money exchange so that they can buy sacrifices and they're being ripped off. Jesus says, you've made it a den of robbers or a den of thieves. And they're, they're impeding the Gentiles from worship. And so Jesus says, unacceptable, makes him very, very upset. He is the custodian of God's house. He, even when Jesus is a child at 12 years old, what does he say? I had to be in my father's house. He's the custodian of it, and he does not like the way that this is going. And so in righteous anger, he says, I'm going to stop this right now. And he, in his view, has every right to do it. Quoting the major prophets, my house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. I'm the boss of this house. And all of you, get out and stop doing what you're doing. What he's trying to say is you are impeding the worship of the Gentiles. And this is unacceptable. Um, so this is the backdrop of this bizarre fig tree thing. But a little bit more about this fig tree, because you're all wondering, well, why did he curse it if it wasn't the season of figs? He's hangry. Like, you haven't answered the question yet. All right. This is a fig tree in leaf. In leaf means it's got leaves on it. Now, uh, fortunately, we have some information about fig trees over in, in first century Palestine, uh, there's a minister who's probably quoted the most, uh, who spent a great deal of time there, who looked at this and watched fig trees. And uh, the way that he writes about it is that at that time of year, just before uh, the, the springtime, and you're moving towards what we would call April in our calendar, a season for Pesach or Passover, you had these fig trees, they'd be there all year round, but sometimes they would, they would bloom early like this, and you'd have these leaves, and they would be in leaf even before the, the, the full spring would come, and then they would, they would produce uh, a nice crop. And some fig trees, we're told, would produce crop like 10 months out of the year. Sometimes they wouldn't. They would, there would be oddities with these fig trees. They weren't always consistent. So he sees this tree, and the tree is in leaf. The implication is that there's going to be something on it if it's in leaf. Yes, it's not the season for figs, but this tree is in leaf. So he goes up to the tree and he says there's nothing on it and apparently throws a little temper tantrum and curses it. Well, in that time, well, it happened with fig trees today, uh, what could be going on here is that you had when a tree would, would come to leaf early, you had this little, uh, little knobby kind of fruit on it that you see on the left side. And in the, this is from the minister who lived there for many years. In the Palestinian Arabic, they called this taksh. And when you had this taksh, uh, even though the tree was in leaf and the tree was in leaf early, you had this taksh on it. And if the taksh was on it, Tax, it sounds kind of funny. Not tax, tax, tax. When, when, it, when it was on it, 
sometimes the peasants would eat it or uh, people who, who you know, were in the area would grab it and eat it. But it meant that you were going to get a good crop of fruit later on, which you see on the right-hand side. So you distinguish between the so-called tax and the full fruit. So it could very well be that Jesus goes up to this tree and he's expecting that it would have some tax on it at least. But it's got nothing on it. Zero. And Jesus says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Still looks like he's throwing a temper tantrum though. Because if he's God, wouldn't he know if it had any tax on it even? Why is he, why is he behaving in this way? I think the answer comes uh, when you turn to the pages of the Old Testament. You will see in a few places that a fig tree and figs would be used by the prophets as symbols of Israel. Uh, a noted passage is from the prophet Hosea, chapter 9 and verse 10. Hosea is the prophet who is asked to marry a, a prostitute, yes. And the whole thing is an illustration of unfaithful Israel and how God was married to Israel and yet Israel was unfaithful through idolatry. And so God uses this prophet Hosea and he says, I want you to marry a prostitute because I want to teach the people about my love and my kindness for them even though they are far from me and essentially committed adultery against me. And you see in Hosea chapter 9 and verse 10, uh, God is speaking through the prophet. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing early fruit on the fig tree. Ah, the tax he's referring to. But when they came to Baal Peor, which is in Numbers 25, you read this incident, uh, when they, they turn away from God to the idols of the Baals, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. So when I saw them, God says, it was like seeing that early fruit, that tax on the fig tree. So Jesus, you fast forward to his time, and he's looking for the tax. He doesn't find it, and for sure he's not going to find any full fruit because it's not even the season for figs just yet. Do you see where this is going? So uh, when, you, when you put this together and Jesus pronounces this statement, uh, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, Mark 11 verse 14, if indeed he's thinking, well, this is symbolic of Israel, what he's doing is he's pronouncing some sort of judgment, probably against the leadership of Israel, the same leadership that wanted to kill him. And he's, he goes into the temple courts. Remember, he had briefly popped in the day before to get a lay of the land, probably thinking to himself as soon as he saw it, I'm going to cause some trouble in here tomorrow. And so he, he, he does the same thing. Remember, he's the custodian of God's house. So what this is about is judgment against the leadership of Israel, and in particular, Jerusalem. You will see shortly after, Jesus is going to predict the temple's destruction. 
so all of this kind of gets put together. Uh, you also see a discussion from Jesus' little parable about a fig tree in Luke 13, uh, verses 6 to 9. This only in Luke. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and, it, and he went out to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been looking, uh, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. So point of the parable not bearing any fruit over a prolonged period of time, cut it down. Then Jesus comes back to the tree, and Jesus teaches about the tree, which is now withered to its roots. It's finished. The tree is rotted out in one day. It takes a miracle to do this. He does this, and then he's going to teach about faith. What he's doing with the cursing of this fig tree is he's judging the leadership of Israel. He's saying, you have lacked the faith to see me, to see who I am. You are not leading the people in faith. You, you want to kill me. You do not see who I am, and judgment is coming as a result. Predicts the, the fall of the temple. Sure enough, it happens. So this is all tied up. This is, a, this is a whole dialogue about faith or a lack of faith. And for Jesus, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the, the uh, uh, high priest, these people, for him, it, they have totally missed the boat. And he has uh, very strong confrontations with them. And you see this is, this is like the big close of it. And then a little later on, you're going to see he's going to pronounce those judgments. We talked about them last week. Woe to you, Pharisees, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. This is all in the same general period of time. You say, what's this got to do with faith? Very interesting, Pastor, but this doesn't really help me. I don't even have a fig tree in my backyard. <laughs> well, this is a lesson on faith. So the question put to Jesus is, hey, that fig tree... We see that the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus uh, uh, goes into this little uh, teaching about faith. Have faith in God, truly I tell you, and so on. Uh, so I want to focus on this just for the next few minutes and try to help you see and learn about faith. If you get one thing out of this message... It's that God wants you to believe for big things from Him. He wants you to believe for big, out-of-this-world, mountain-moving, tree-rottening things. He wants you to believe Him for big, big things. And that's what He wanted for the disciples. He wanted them to have faith in God and faith in in God's Son. And he, that's what he, and he's saying, you've got to have faith to believe the impossible. But who are you believing? You're believing in God, in me. He starts it, have faith 
in God. So briefly, I'm going to give you three little little um, observations about the detours that we take on this passage. This passage is one of the most misinterpreted, misapplied, most frustrating passages to deal with. Uh, because the way that we mess around with this passage, we miss the basic, basic point of what Jesus is saying, believe me, for big things. So this is what we do. And this first little lesson, I'll term it this way, saying doesn't create it. Saying doesn't create it. So verse 23, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. And so we, we even develop whole theologies on this because we, we have this, um, I don't know, this need to reduce prayer and faith to some sort of magical system or formula. And so we say, aha, if I say it, I can get it. I can create it if I say it. Folks, like a, a few real problems with this, all right? Number one, what if you can't speak? I have, I have deaf and mute neighbors. They can't speak. They can't hear. They communicate with sign language. So what does that mean? They can't pray? <laughs> they can't believe because they can't speak? The point of this passage is not on saying it. Yes, it's true when we believe in our heart, what we say expresses what we believe. Jesus even said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you got good in there, you're going to speak good. If you got evil in there, you're going to speak evil. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yes, it, it's good to articulate what you believe. Yes, but it's, there's no magic in saying it. And we've, we have developed whole theologies on this. If you say it this way, if you quote this verse, if you do it like this and like this and follow this system, you can get what you want. You can create your own reality because your words have creative power. After all, that's how God created. He spoke it into existence. And so if you speak, you can speak it into existence and so on. Folks, be very, very careful of this line of thinking. Yes, God spoke the world into existence. But there's big difference between God and you. Big difference. Only God can speak things into existence from nothing. You and I cannot. He can. He wants us to have faith in Him. He can do that. But you and I cannot. You try following these little magical systems. Folks, people who, who follow animism and the occult believe in this sort of thing. That your words have some sort of magical creative ability. No. It's not the saying it that creates it. It's God who does the work. Number two, we look at this whatever. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask, whatever. And we say to ourselves, well, doesn't whatever mean whatever? It says whatever. So whatever I ask, God, I'm asking for a Tesla. God, I'm asking for the Powerball win. God, I'm asking for, you know, whatever, fill in the blanks. And we, we, again, we reduce it to this kind of magic thing. Whatever means whatever, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. He says, whatever you ask for in 
Prayer. Oh, in prayer. Why does it have to be in prayer? Well, didn't Jesus do a lot of teaching about what prayer is? What's his most famous teaching about prayer? Father in, hallowed be your, your kingdom. Wow, you know it. That's Jesus' teaching in prayer. While you're doing that, you ask for whatever. Oh, whatever isn't whatever then. Is whatever I ask for in prayer. Oh, so if I ask God, if my whatever is, you know, I, I need a new car. My car is running real fine. I just want a Mercedes just to have a Mercedes. That's my whatever. Uh, I think if you run that through Jesus, you're probably going to realize your whatever isn't whatever in prayer. It may be your whatever. It's what you want. But it probably isn't really in line with God's will for your car. So you learn what the whatever is by praying. It's not, God is not a slot machine where you pull the lever, and if you say, whatever I ask for in, in prayer, seven, seven, seven. <laughs> no, that's not the way that it works, folks, but that's the way that we want it to work. But when you learn to pray, you realize, oh boy, whatever, yeah, it's whatever, but it's whatever according to God's version of whatever, which is Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your Forgive us our debts. Yeah, but as we forgive those who, oh, man, you mean I have to forgive the person? That's part of prayer? Yeah, that's part of prayer. It's God's will that you forgive. So you start to see that, oh, as I learn to pray, I learn to discern what God's will is. Oh, whatever I ask for, yes, whatever you ask for in prayer. And you learn that over a lifetime. The more you pray, the more you start to realize, ooh, I, I ask for a lot of things out of selfish reasons, don't you? Don't I? We ask for a lot of things, and thank God God doesn't give us what we ask for all the time. Because we ask for a lot of selfish things. But over time, we start to realize, wow, God says no to this, no to this, no to this, no to this, no to this. I get, I'm getting a lot of no's. Hmm. Maybe my whatever isn't God's whatever. Maybe I need to adjust according to his will that's in his word that tells me how to pray. Oh, Whatever you ask for in prayer, number three, please have no faith in faith. Folks, I need to just tell you, I'm an atheist when it comes to faith. I have no faith in faith. You should have no faith in faith either. You say, what are you talking about? Verse 22, if you believe, whoever believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Believe, 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 believe. And we contort our faces. I believe. Yeah, like Grogu. I believe, you know. Well, Grogu's a lot cuter than us. We, we, Grogu. Do you know Grogu from Mandalorian? The, the Mandalorian, Boba Fett, okay. Yoda, Star Wars, the Force. We contort them, I believe. And folks, it's not the Force. When you, when, if that's what faith is to you, your faith is not in God. Your faith is in faith. He doesn't want you to have faith in faith. He wants you to have faith in Him, not faith in faith. You can have faith in faith if you want to. It's not going to get you very far. You're going to be frustrated. You say, oh, I spoke it. 
Oh, I believed it. I even contorted my face when I prayed. You, you know, I said, I did whatever. I asked for whatever. How come it's not working? Because you're, you're, you went off on a tangent, that's why. God is saying, I am the object of your faith. The leadership of Israel missed it. Lack of faith, lack of belief. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. No more priesthood after the, the, the temple's destroyed. What are the priests going to do? No more work. They're all out of a job. But Jesus is saying, I am the object of your faith. God is the object of your faith. You come to me with big things. You come to me with mountain-moving requests, with tree-killing requests. You come and you bring those things to me because I am the one who has the ability to do it. Have faith in God, not faith in faith. Your faith doesn't make it happen, folks. Look, you can have no faith. You can have faith. Either God exists or God doesn't exist. It, you, you have nothing to do with his existence. You either decide you're going to believe him or you decide you are not, but your belief doesn't change anything. Folks, I can believe all I want that I can jump off of this platform and I'm going to levitate. I can believe it and I can say, I just believe. It's not going to happen. Do you know why? Because the object of my faith there is just my faith. If I understand what truth is, truth is I'm going to drop down to the ground at 9.8 meters per second per second because that's true. I would rather put my faith in that, which is why we have a stage that we can stand on, because we all believe that we're not going to float on it. <laughs> we believe that it'll hold us up. You have plenty of faith in that cozy chair. You've got plenty of faith in that chair. Why? Because your faith is in the correct object. So God is saying, have faith in me. And I feel like... like uh, sometimes in today's kind of Christianity, it's like we believe God for puny little things. Puny. God, please help me tie my shoe in the morning. Okay, you want to believe God? It's okay, you can believe God for that. It's not bad. It's not bad. But he's, he's saying, you, this is a mountain here. You got a problem in your life? You need to bring your problem to me. You need to have faith in God. Why are you scared to bring me a big request? Why are you scared to bring me a mountain? You don't think I can do it? Try me. And I think God is trying to say that to people. Say, well, I tried. I tried it with this. It didn't happen. I prayed for the healing. It didn't happen. Try again. I don't have the answers to the mysteries of why sometimes it seems like why it seems like it was totally in line with what God wanted and it didn't happen. I don't have the answers to those mysteries, but God is saying to us, have faith in me and bring me big things. Who else are you going to bring them to? Nobody. Or maybe you just gave up and you say, well, I just don't pray anymore. I don't, I don't even bother anymore. I've had too many no's. I just threw up my hands in frustration. Wow, you need to be like that perseverant widow. We talked about in our little prayer meeting on Wednesday. 
this lady is such an underdog. She's a widow. She's, she's, she's got somebody after her who's probably extorting her for money. She goes to a judge, but the judge is corrupt. She's got all these strikes against her. And she just keeps coming to that judge over and over and over again. He's a corrupt judge. She's got someone extorting her. She's got no money. She's a widow. She doesn't care. She just keeps going to, going to that judge over and over and over and over and over again. The judge finally says, I'm going crazy with this woman. Here, take your justice and get out. And Jesus says, well, don't you think that, that God will give you justice if you call out to him for justice day and night? What's he saying? Persevere, persevere, persevere. Come to me with big things. So this is the, this is the lesson of the fig tree. You guys can come to the, to the uh, stage um, and start to play. This is the lesson of the fig tree. And I really feel this. That you need to, some of you, you maybe you've been in the, the Christian thing for a long time, and your, your level of faith is kind of, it's just a kind of a, it's like a little mist that's fading, you know? It's like, you, you, you can feel it. You can feel it just, it's like running out of gas. It's like a balloon that's just losing air. It's just turned into, it's wither, maybe it's withering like that tree it feels like, and your faith is just blech. I, I just feel like God wants to say to you, you know what? Come to me with those big things. What, what have you got to lose anyway? At the end, if you don't, if you don't get your, the answer to your request the right way, you, you're still in the same place. But you prayed. But you went to God. But you learned something about yourself. You learned something about God in the process. And this is what he's looking for. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Persevere. Ask, seek, knock, don't give up, and believe me for those big, big mountains. Bring your mountain to me, and let me be the object of your faith. Father, I pray for each person today in the room, those who are watching online. And, and Lord, uh, I, I pray that you would speak to us. We, we come through, uh, still in a, a pandemic we look at Ukraine, we look at the potential of this thing getting bigger, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and sometimes we're just so frustrated, and, and sometimes, Lord, we just, we just want to quit. We just want to give up and, and uh, do something else with our time. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would move in our hearts by your Spirit's power, and you would pull us, Lord, to... A, a place where our faith is growing, where we're hungry for you, where, Lord, uh, we, we, we reflect on your goodness, where we see your hand of faithfulness and your hand of power. Lord, we, we want to come to you with our big mountains today. Uh, Lord, uh, I, I pray today with those who are in this room, with those who are online, Lord, I pray for the death to cease in Ukraine. I pray, God, for somehow, by your power, it would cease. And, and, Lord, people would just stop losing their lives on both sides. In the name of Jesus, we bring our situations and our stories to you, Lord. There are people in this room who have all kinds of things that are going on in their lives. And they're big, big mountains. There are people online who are so discouraged big, big mountains in their lives, Lord. We bring those things to you. We bring them. Who else can we go to 
but you, Lord. We bring them to you and ask for you to intervene and to show yourself faithful in every situation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today. I'll let them go ahead and keep playing. And remember to pick up your kids in screen 11. Uh, you can give uh, over at the desk. And we'll see some of you, I, I hope, on Wednesday and Thursday. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday today.
conquer. 